Well, good morning. I too want to welcome everybody here in person and, and joining online. We're glad that you guys could be here. I'm excited about next week in terms of all the transitions and being Mother's Day. I remember very, uh, many times uh, in my earlier years hearing that Mother's Day was coming up and being very grateful for the person up front saying that as a guy. <laughs> so if Mother's Day's coming up, you need to make a phone call or make a reservation. Uh, you've been warned. <laughs> I hope you guys can take advantage of that. We have, we have a lot of wonderful mothers here, and uh, we're going to be celebrating that next week. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn, oh, I guess we're already there in, in James 5. We're going to be looking at patience today as we continue this series, Reset, Considering Cultivating Character, looking at what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, um, or more kind of in, in layman's terms, character traits that God wants to work and is working inside those who are his followers. So let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll get into patience. Father, thank you for this beautiful space to meet. Thank you for uh, this beautiful day. Uh, thank you for the summer ahead of us. Lord, we want to just pray that, uh, at least in our society, you continue to move things in a, in a direction that we'd be able to rephase and, and get back to quote-unquote normal. Even as we pray that, our hearts are heavy for parts of the world right now that are really uh, especially struggling. We think, of, we think of India, for instance. Just just their healthcare system just really feeling it, stressed and strained. Lord, would you bring uh, healing and, and comfort there? And Father, as we turn now to your word, would you please give us your spirit to understand what you have in front of us? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so patience. Uh, you could argue that there's no such thing as good relationships without patience. A biblical definition I came across this week that I thought was helpful is patience is the willingness to suffer or endure uncomfortable things in order for good to come about in our relationships and in the lives of, of those around us. So let me say it again. Patience is the willingness to suffer or endure uncomfortable things in order to bring about good in our relationships to others and in their lives. Patience is of critical importance when it comes to a character trait, but it seems to me it's not often recognized as such. So for instance, if you take the last few weeks of character traits that we've been looking at, joy and peace, I think without hesitation, all of us would say about joy and peace, okay, those are of utmost importance. Those are essential. Joy, peace, okay, yes. And while I think we'd probably say patience is important, I think we'd probably put it on a sub-tier to those two. But patience is of, of, of critical importance. In fact, Cindy and I were at an urban church a few years back, a number of years ago now, uh, where the pastor said that if he could write a curriculum in terms of how to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, up there with things like how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to share your faith, in an urban setting, he said, up there has to be a lesson on patience. And I think we can resonate with that because I don't think the Silicon Valley is like urban of urban areas. And yet it's urban in the sense of we're in the grind here. There's a hustle here. Patience is really important. And if think of it this way. I think we all have gotten, each and every one of us, a crash course on the importance of patience over this last year of shelter in place. And we've probably also gotten a crash course in understanding how we're probably more lacking in patience than we otherwise would have thought. Patience is really important. And it's something God wants to and is doing, it working inside of those who are his followers. So wh what's our part in that? How do we get this patience? How do we cultivate it? We're going to be looking at lessons from an unlikely source. Today, five lessons on patience from the farmer. Okay, James talks about the farmer, and it's, and it's really helpful. 
Five lessons on patience from, from the farmer. Let me read our, our text again. It says, be patient, then brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient. So five lessons on patience from, from the farmer. Number one, the farmer knows that the work takes grit. So a few years back, I had the opportunity to meet a farmer, which was, which was really kind of fun because I haven't met a whole lot of farmers here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, this guy was visiting his girlfriend from Modesto, which I can just confirm for you is farmland because I've had to go there two times now on a pilgrimage to get my vaccination out there. I couldn't get any appointment out here, so I went out to, and it's all farmland out there. It's, it's beautiful country. He was out there visiting his girlfriend uh, here, and it, before I even, like, you know, we shared names or whatever, it was clear this guy had some sort of trade in, in an outdoor setting. He was just, while all of us were becoming a little more pasty in the winter time than it was, he was just full-blown tan and, you, you know, and then when I I gave him a handshake. He just had this Herculean grip strength, and his hand was like a rock, right? I mean, we all know that farmers are incredibly hard workers. I mean, they're just, they, they know what grit is. They're out there at the break of daylight, tilling, preparing the soil, molding it, setting it into neat rows, preparing the seed, searching for any little sign of pests, scrutinizing it for, for worms and all the rest of it. They're incredibly hard workers. One of, our, uh, one of our current leader's friends is the writer and director of the movie Minari. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but it was up for an Academy Award this year. It's about a Korean-American family moving to Arkansas, buying a plot of land there in like kind of the goal of trying to find their slice of the American dream. And uh, it's not just about kind of what it takes physically to be a, a farmer and a farming, farming family, but also in terms of the emotional toll that it has on a family. It's a beautiful picture of resilience, of the family bond. But it just, it just captures so well how much farmers are just really at it. Just, it's, just a, it's a gritty, gritty life. Um, and, and what James is here saying is we need to understand that the, the most important things of life, things of, of great significance and, and value, take work. They, t- they take grit. Everybody was reading a book a few years back entitled Grit by Angela Duckworth, and, and she put it this way. She said, there are no shortcuts to excellence, developing real expertise, figuring out hard problems. It all takes time longer than most people imagine. You've got to apply those skills and produce goods or services that are valuable to people. Grit is about working on something you care about so much that you're willing to stay loyal to it. It's doing what you love, but not just falling in love, staying in love. And I love how, by using that metaphor, Angela Duckworth, whether intentionally or unintentionally, then also is not just talking about work, but also our relationships. An act of loving takes, takes grit, takes work. For instance, let me put it this way. There have been a lot of people in society, of course, the data will show you that, but also in our, our church who've been feeling it in their marriages in shelter in place. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't, right? We're all just kind of cooped up, working it out. A lot of marriages have been especially tried and, and strained in the midst of time. Cindy and I have felt it. In fact, we were thinking about it the other day and recognizing that one of God's gifts to us uh, in, in a way, was kind of having to figure out how to work together and spend a lot of time at it, like kind of in a, in a startup level before the pandemic, let alone in the, it's just, it, it takes work. It takes grit. But you know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that marriage takes work, not just in seasons of hardship or suffering, uh, you know, say during a global pandemic, 
Marriage takes grit and work by nature of being marriage, is his point. Because it's two people coming together and trying to figure it out, work it out, and, you know, flawed and, and all the rest of it. Um, it, t- it takes work. And, and that's good, uh, even as it's hard. So whether it's with your spouse or with, with a roommate or a family member or two or three or four, you need to like kind of, you know, you're, you're feeling it right now. Uh, look to the example of the farmer and understand that it, it does, it's going to take work. And here's where this is helpful to me on the kind of the more practical application kind of level is it helps me not to believe the lie that if things aren't just snapping into place the way I thought or want them to happen, that I ought not to just give up, Right? Or maybe more to my personality type, you know, just check out. Well, I'm just, I'm just not going to do the work here. But what James is saying is, no, no, we need, to, we need to be patient. We need to stand firm. Like the farmer, just understand it takes work, and that's, that's good and right. Stand firm. Keep at it. Be patient. Stick with it, he's saying. That's the first lesson from the farmer on patience. Number two, the farmer knows that the work is cyclical. Okay, look at verse 7. The farmer patiently waits for the autumn and spring rains. Of course, James is writing to ancient Palestine where the climate was kind of two uh, rainy seasons that would come. The first rain would come in October. That's when the preparing of the soil would happen. That's when the process of germination would, would begin. And then, in late, uh, and then in late March or in April, the, the rains would then come again. That would, that would be when the grain would swell and, and the crop would be produced. We talked about this during the overview message a few weeks back, and it's but it bears repeating here, even as it's coming up in our text here, uh, more uh, specifically again. And that is, we know that the important things of life take grit, yes, but they also just take time. You know, farming, you've got to be a patient person just to wait for the seasons, for the cycles to do their course. And where farming is also a really helpful metaphor is the fact that we know most of the growth is actually happening when we don't necessarily see it happening. And then all of a sudden it pops up and you're like, okay, there's harvest. But a lot of the growth is happening when we don't see it. And so what the farmer does is the farmer is constantly thinking, okay, what's there to do? The far- I mean, that's not to say that farmers never take breaks, but they're never going about like, well, there's nothing to do. Farmers always out there. If they see any weeds, they're on top of it to try to make sure the weeds don't start to like spread. Or if, heaven forbid, somehow weeds start to spread, you better believe they're going to be out there just doing their best to get on top of it, try to get it back in place. Regardless of the season, they're out there. Um, this last week, I got to meet with a number of pastor friends in the area, part of a network we're involved in, over Zoom, and we were all just kind of checking in to see how one another, uh, each, each, each other are doing and how the ministries are going. And one of, one of my friends, one of these pastors said uh, that uh, they were really feeling not having a date night. Uh, they had had, before the pandemic started, before shelter in place, once a week, once every other week, they weren't super religious about it, but they're pretty faithful to it, where they would just get away from the kids, you know, not talk about work, and just spend time just hang, hanging out. And, and they were realizing, he was just sharing, you know, you know the day after, he's like, you, they, were, they had had a conversation where they were realizing that while they were doing okay right now, they're probably going to start to feel the effects if they don't rebuild in that habit. Is, is this making sense? Like, they're just realizing, man, we're, we're doing okay right now, but we, we're, we're going to miss out if we don't reestablish that, that habit soon, because... Going back to what we're talking about, the farmer's always out there working. And whether or not they're seeing results or understanding, or maybe in good times, they're still trying. They're always thinking through, how do I, the work is cyclical. How do, how do, I, how do I work at this? And, you know, just, just to say this, 
and this isn't even on my notes, it's one of the things as a pastor too is we're rephasing back as a society. One of the things on my heart is the great importance of being in connection with other human beings. Now, if, if you're uncomfortable coming back for reasons of health and all of that sort of thing, hey, you, you, gotta, you gotta do that. But when it is a place where you're starting to feel led to come back or reopen up and, and that sort of thing, I think we underestimate the value of personal connections and how much that, pe- that bears fruit in so many other parts of our, our lives. So we just need to be, be at it and thinking about this work is cyclical. How do we how do, we do our, our part? So the farmer knows the work takes grit. The farmer knows that the work is cyclical. And number three, the farmer knows that the work takes faith. Which is kind of funny, right? I mean, we're talking about farming. What do you mean? Takes faith. Yeah, farmer, farmer has faith when they're out there, right? Listen to how Jesus put it elsewhere. In Mark 4, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the, the soil produces grain, First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Or in our text today, verse 7, the farmer waits, patiently waits. Farmers know, even back then in that ancient society, a lot about the process of farming. Now, modern day scientists help us understand kind of down to the biological and molecular level, the process of germination and all that. So we we have that kind of understanding. But even with that knowledge, there's still this element of faith. Is it going to grow? Is the crop going to come up? And let's say you have everything set, you do all the work just, and you're just, you're 100% sure it's going to come. Even then you're still asking, well, are the rains going to come? Which if you've lived in California for any length of time, you know that's a legitimate question. Are the, are the rains going to come? A couple years back, uh, one of my best friends who lives in the panhandle of Texas, he, he got his degree out here so he could go teach near his, where his family, where he's, where, where he's from. Uh, his family are all farmers there in the panhandle of, of, of Texas. A number of years ago, there was that fluke hurricane of a season, if you'll remember. There was one hurricane in particular that kind of got up all the way into the panhandle, and it absolutely devastated farmers because it happened right before harvest season. And it was just terrible. I mean, they lost all their crop. And so I asked my buddy, I said, hey, how's your family doing? Man, this, you can imagine it's, it's pretty rough for them. He said, yeah, it's, 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 it's been hard. You know, they're disappointed. And in fact, he said it was especially hard because the season before that had been a drought, so it's like, you know, it's two seasons of, of hardship. But then he said this, but David, you know what? They're farmers. <laughs> they're tightening their belt and they're getting back out there for the next season. And I just marveled at that for a moment. I was just like, man, that's, that's an amazing group of people who can just say, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna tighten our belts, yes, but we're gonna get back at it. And I think what we can do if we're not careful, I know I certainly can, is, is, is have a un- farmer-like perspective, and that is, man, these things are really hard, or they take time, or, you know, require things needing to work out, you know, this thing called faith, oh, it's like, I'm just like, how's that worth it? But, you know, that's where this wonderful metaphor of the farmer gloriously breaks down, because when it comes to the harvest that God's talking about, the the valuable, the, the crop that's coming, it's something way better and way more certain, I should say it that way, than what the farmer's waiting for with their crop. Because remember, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you and me. Meaning, it might not come the way we would hope it would come in, in our relationships or in our internal kind of like walk, 
But the promise is God's going to work it out. He's gonna, it's, it requires faith, but it's a faith on, the, on his good promise. So the farmer knows that it takes grit, knows that it takes time or that the work is cyclical, uh, knows that the work requires faith. And then number four, the farmer knows that the great harvest is coming. Verse seven says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. So the farmer toils away. The farmer doesn't give up, even though it's hard, even though there's all this risk involved, because in the end, the farmer knows that it will be more than worthwhile. Just goes after it because there's going to be a harvest. But when the Bible talks about a harvest that's coming, it talks about something that's infinitely more valuable than a crop and infinitely more certain. It's talking about, of course, a spiritual harvest, a harvest that can never be taken away. And then this last thought that kind of ties this thought together, it's related, the farmer sees the bigger picture. So the farmer knows the great harvest is coming, but the, the farmer also sees the bigger picture. And this idea, of course, is that the farmer's out there working and toiling away in spite of the difficulty because they see the end from the beginning. Right? They understand that there's an end coming and, and they work in light of that. And what James is doing is now joining a chorus of other biblical writers to say that the Christ follower needs to look up like the Father in the midst of hardship or whatever it might be to understand that the great harvest is coming. There's a big picture happening. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we living in light of that? That really is James' big point here in this text, right? Because look at verse 7. He's talking about farming. He's using this metaphor, but really to make this point, he says, be patient like a farmer until the Lord's coming. And then verse 8, he says, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming near verse 9, he's standing at the door. He's saying, the farmer is helping us understand that things in, in the spiritual realm are getting ready to come to fruition. God's going to come back and an eternal harvest is coming. Listen to how the 19th century Charles Spurgeon puts it. I love how he, write, he, he talked about this. He said, when God shall give you a rich return for all you have done for him, you will blush to think you ever doubted. You will be ashamed to think you ever grew weary in his service. You shall have your reward. Not tomorrow, so wait. Not the next day, perhaps, so be patient. You may be full of doubts one day. Your joy sinks low. It may be rough, windy weather with you in your spirit. You may even doubt whether you are the Lord's, but if you have rested in the name of Jesus, if by the grace of God you are what you are, if he is your salvation and all your desire, have patience, have patience, for the reward will surely come in God's time. That hits me home in my heart. I feel that. James tells us we should look to the example of the prophets. He really drives us home by looking at the prophets. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who have spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, as you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord brought about. James is saying, the prophets, like the farmers, see the end from the beginning. They saw the end from the beginning. They lived in light of what's to come, and they had assurance in that, so they were able to persevere. And he says, you know what? Think about Job in particular. And I love that he calls out Job. You know why? Because Job was such, such a mixed bag of patience. If you know his story, he, went, he had an awesome life, really blessed, went through a lot of suffering, and then he was taken care of in the end. But in that me middle ground, he was not very patient, or at least at times he wasn't. But notice, James doesn't say, you have heard of Job's patience. He says, you've heard of Job's perseverance. I mean, there was times, for instance, when Job said something like in, in, in chapter 10, I loathe my life, 
I will give utter, free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. I mean, how's that for patience, right? And yet, James, and of course God in his scriptures, says, look to Job as an example of perseverance. You can't do that. Why? Because Job also said things like, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Chapter 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. I love that James is using the example of Job as, an, as a model of perseverance because he's saying, if anything, that patience in the midst of hardship is hard. And you and I, we're not always going to get it right. We're going to struggle it, and that's okay. So his main point here, he repeats over and over again, is be patient. Stand firm. The extent you can't stand, remain. Why? Because the Lord will take care of us. That's why he says, you've heard of Joe's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I had a seminary professor who used to say they hated how the book of Job ended. Which is kind of funny and ironic at the same time that a professor would say that something about that of the scriptures. And, you know, I, 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 at first I was like, what, what are you saying? You don't like how Job ended? Uh, he didn't like how Job ended with him having gone through suffering and then him being blessed essentially like two times over than where he began. And the reason he didn't like that is because, man, so many times in life we go through suffering and we, don't, we aren't necessarily blessed, let alone twice as much from before. Can't, isn't that misleading? And so while that's understandable, that kind of perspective, I mean, I, I get that. I think James would push back against that and say, actually, that, that, that actually misses the point, though. Because the point of Job, at least as James is saying it, is not that Job was, you know, blessed in the end of this life. The point of Job is that when you go through hardship, every follower of Jesus can look to Job as a foreshadow, a foretaste of what's going to come in the next life. Not necessarily in this life, but what is going to happen in the next life. And because of that, we can persevere. That's the beautiful and wonderful promise available to us. 2 Corinthians 4 puts it this way. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I mean, really, this is the power to face any affliction with patience, that is to lift up our eyes and see the bigger picture. Verse 11 tells us, for the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. One of the things that really struck me in my study this week is that God is a God of patience. Now you might be like, well, I, yeah, that sounds pretty straightforward. But I don't, I don't know if you're like me, but I haven't really considered it that way before. When I usually think about God and kind of his attributes, his character traits, I usually think of God as loving, just, merciful, wise, gracious, those sorts of things. But God is patient. In fact, he's exceedingly patient. I mean, one exercise that would be really fun, you could even do it later this afternoon, it would be to open up to any of the accounts on the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just pick it random, read it, and ask yourself, how does Jesus embody patience there? And you'll find he's really patient all the time, right? With all his followers who are just lacking in faith, over and over and over again with all the people who would straight up call him blasphemous? I mean, could you imagine Jesus of all people being called blasphemous? And how does he respond? Patiently. 
All the questions that were asked, I mean, a lot of them weren't great questions. I have a lot of not great questions. He's patient. And then all the questions that were specifically like targeting him to try to trap him to the point of trying to kill him, how did he respond? Patiently. Let me tell you a story. This is how you'd often do that. What about when his disciples abandoned him, denied him? He's patient. What about when he was falsely accused, falsely tried, condemned to the cross? He was patient. When he was spit on, he was struck in the face. He was patient when he hung on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. He was being insulted up there, called blasphemous up there. He was patient. It's incredible. Really, to me, the key or the unlock to being patient is to understand more fully and more deeply how God is exceedingly patient with us. Which, you know, is really helpful because when it comes to patience, I think our culture would probably, you know, based on my newsfeed, write an article and say, you want to be patient, five things to do to be patient. But really what it comes down to is understanding from the inside out how God is exceedingly patient with you and me. And then we can begin to do that. And so I actually want to end this time with two practical thoughts. That I think James really drives home with this whole uh, uh, text of, of Scripture here for us. Two practical thoughts as the band begins to make their way up. James gives two exhortations. Number one in verse 8, he says, be patient and stand firm. That's the first exhortation. Be patient and stand firm. Uh, it's a little unfortunate that this translation in our English doesn't quite convey what's being said in the original Greek language. Um, but it's understandable because if you kind of translate it more literally, it, it loses, it starts to sound funny to our English ears. Uh, what James is literally saying is, establish patience in your hearts. Okay, now we can see why they didn't translate it that way into the English. But that's literally what he's saying is establish patience in your hearts. But it's helpful to think about because it conveys something that we don't just have in our in our English translation. Because whenever the biblical writers talk about the heart, they're talking not about touchy feely feelings that we tend to associate in our society, in our culture, when we talk about the heart. In the Bible, the heart is what theologians call the seed of our affections. So what motivates us? What drives us? And so when, when James is saying, establish patience in your hearts, he's really saying, resolve to be patient. Now, what does that mean? Well, it makes me think of the psalmist who would regularly go, my soul waits on you, Lord. <laughs> And I love the psalmist because often it's, it's King David, the ancient king who is in the middle of like battles and like people trying to kill him. And in half the psalm, he'd be like, like basically, let me translate, ah, right? And then he'd say before and after, but I wait on you, Lord. I think that's probably a good example of David, the best he can, establishing patience in his heart. Two, two little real practical thoughts, it seems to me, in terms of how we can be establishing patience in our heart. I think it's receive and reflect. Receive, like we talked about earlier, is just first starting with our need for God's patience in our own lives. When we start to become impatient, maybe we just start by saying, God, I need your, need your patience. In fact, I did a little self-exercise this week, and I realized, oh my goodness, God is exceedingly patient with me in my impatience. He's, in, he's just so patient. And then we reflect because we take that and we offer it to others. Let me give you an example of that. So with my kids, I'm often impatient with them in what amounts to probably more trivial things. They're kids, nine and seven years old. They're going to do things and I'm going to become impatient. It's the way of life, right? But when I'm impatient with them, I'm starting to at least try to establish patience in my heart in the sense of being like, man, I'm impatient with them over this and yet God is patient with me with 
that, okay, I could probably extend a little bit more patience to my kids. Is this making sense? So receive and reflect. That's the first exhortation to establish patience in our hearts. The second one James gives is in verse 9. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. I love that. Don't grumble. Why would he say that as he's talking about patience of all things? Well, grumbling, of course, is irritation. It's criticism, just like overly critical spirit. It's fault finding. It's lack of getting the benefit of the doubt. It's lack of sympathy. It's lack of patience. And oh, do we grumble. We grumble. Human beings, we grumble. The church, we grumble. Twitter grumbles. We grumble. Because we look at things from our own perspective we look to point the finger, but, Jesus, uh, but excuse me, James concludes this thought. Check it out. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. It's implied pretty clearly we're guilty of this. Like We just need to not, not do this ourselves. So we see how relationships are about patience. People are different than us. People are different than you. People are going to have different views of things than you. People are going to have different ways of doing things than you. People are going to have different perspectives. People are going to have different ways of responding to things. People are going to have different preferences. And if you and I let those differences take root inside of us to create irritation, we'll never know good relationships with the people around us. Patience is the willingness to suffer or endure uncomfortable things in order for good to come about in our relationships to others and their lives. So here's the question I'd ask, ask you today. Where do you think God is calling you in you, the context of your relationships with a close loved one, with family, with you know, neighbors, in your small group, whatever the case might be, where, where is God calling you to be uncomfortable for the sake of loving someone? For the sake of being God's representative and God's ambassador in that person's life. So for instance, might it mean for you suffering to be patient and kind in not letting someone who has different political views than you get under your skin? Even when you know you could win the argument with them, but you also know that it would drive that person away? Could it mean enduring when someone speaks negatively of someone else, hitting pause on the tape and just kind of reflecting and not letting your heart just kind of make some moral judgments about them or not have sympathy or not go to talk to them directly about it? Um, could it mean with a spouse, a roommate, you know, someone you're really close to, instead of just working out to be right, to do right and be patient and gracious about things and not just force your way through. I mean, obviously there's a lot of application because again, let me go back to where we started. Patience is so critical. It's something we've got to think about and cultivate. And the, and, the, and the best news here is we're not left alone to do it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so as you commit to doing it, God's going to give you the grace to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, first of all, for your patience with us. I mean, even how you are patient with us in our impatience, which I imagine uh, for, for many, I know this is true for myself, I, I think the more we think about patience, I think the more we realize it is important and, 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 it, and it is more lacking in our lives than I think we probably would care to admit or recognize. So 
Father, would you help us become more patient? Because you are first patient with us. You continue to be so patient with us. Would you help us to be uh, men and women, families, a church family, marked by patience? Would you help us to establish patience in our hearts? Would you help us to not grumble? And in all this, would you help us point people to love that you have for them in Christ Jesus? We pray all this in his name. Amen.